Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Uh, oh, wow. All right. We are here and awake. That's what having one 1030 service will do for you. Uh, I guess I better say Happy New Year, um, considering it's January 1st, literally the new year. Um, I, I'd like to do a show of hands if I can. How many of you in the room were up until the ball dropped on New Year's? Give yourselves a raise of hand. Okay, now keep your hand raised if you were up past one in the morning and you, you went above and beyond on New Year's Eve, if you could say. Okay, now I still see concerningly a lot amount of hands. So if a few of you were up past two in the morning, keep your hands up. We're still getting hands. Okay, okay. You were officially up later than me. Congratulations. Uh, and I was up embarrassingly late. Um, well, anyway, good morning. Um, it's 2023 now, and even as, I, even as I say that, I find that unbelievable. I, I have this thing. I don't know about you, but every time a new year happens and the date gets older or whatnot, uh, I find it harder to believe. For instance, I'm, I'm kind of young, but I feel like it should still be 2015. And so the fact that it's 2023, eight years later, is, like, shocking to me. Like, I cannot believe that, like, if I was in high school, I'd be writing 2023 on my papers. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but the, the longer the years go on, the more unbelievable the date becomes. Um, I don't know what that's about. Maybe I should go dive into that sometime. But either way, the years seem to fly by. It's always fun when you get into a new year to take a moment and look back. Look back at the last year that just happened in the year of 2022. And I know in the life of our church, we saw some incredible things. We saw people get baptized, people take steps in their faith towards God, surrendered their life to him. We met countless people who became the part of our life of our church. And many, many more specific stories of the people sitting right next to you in the row. And that's just inside the church. Without anything in the church, many of you also got married, had or having kids, or hit major life milestones. Or maybe you look back at this last year and you see less highs and more lows. A loss of a family member, a significant breakup, a major move, or a huge life change you didn't see coming. The thing is, as I say this and as I write it, I can think of your stories in my mind. The, the ways we've prayed together and prayed for you, the conversations we've had, the experiences we've shared, the life that we have lived together over the last year. And I think it can be important to take a minute to step, to step back and look. It surely has been a whole year, hasn't it? But just as we look back, back on the new year, I also want to look forward. And I want to challenge you. And I'm going to give you a glimpse of where I'm going this morning, right off the bat, just so you're really clear on what's happening. Because I, I want us to not just take a minute to look back on how the last year went. But I want us to recognize the place we're in now, January 1st, 2023, a whole year ahead of us. And so I have a question for you. What might God have for you this year? 
We saw some incredible things in 2022, especially in the life of our church. And I can think of your stories. I know the things that happened in your life. But the question I want to ask this morning is what might God have for you this year in 2023? It could be anything, and only God can tell you what. So I'm not going to try to speculate, but I think it's important that we take the time to listen, whether you're here in the room or online. It's important that we take the time to reflect on what God might have for us, because he's here, and he's ready to speak. As I was preparing to preach this morning, and I was reflecting on the last year, for me, the prevalent theme in my life seemed to be grace. The grace of God, which showed up time and time again, and way after way, all around me and in the people I know. And that ended up being the title of today's sermon, God's Grace. To learn about God's grace or the grace of God, I want to dive back into one of my favorite New Testament people, Peter. Now, if you don't know Peter, we're going to do a quick crash course because Peter's life is really significant, and I think... His life illustrates God's grace in a really, really great way. Now, if you don't know Peter, Peter was, at the start of his story in in the Gospels, was a simple fisherman. He would get up early in the morning. He would go throw his nets out. He would take the fish in. He would do whatever to get them ready to sell, and, and that was his life. He did this day in and day out until one day he was out fishing all night. He had caught no fish, and as he comes to shore, he sees a commotion he sees a crowd gathered and someone teaching, a teacher. And this teacher spoke, and the more this teacher spoke, the bigger the crowd became. It was crazy. More and more people showed up just to hear this guy speak. In fact, they got so big, they were pushing this teacher all the way into the water, and so the teacher asked Peter if he could stand on his boat and teach. So Peter said, come on. The teacher got on the boat, and they went out, and the teacher taught the crowds for hours. Until eventually they dispersed, and this teacher, this guy named Jesus, turned to Peter and said, why don't you throw your net out into deeper water? Now, Peter's a fisherman. He's been fishing all night. He's caught no fish. You would think he would know where to put his net. He wouldn't need a teacher to tell him that. But Peter says, I'll humor you. I'll do it anyway. You've been standing on my boat for a while now. I will throw out my net if it'll make you feel better. And he throws out his net in deeper water. And much to his surprise, he catches so many fish, the net nearly breaks. And he has to call his friends in another boat to come and help drag the net to shore. Not only did Peter catch some fish, he caught more than he could have ever imagined. And little did he know that this one encounter would change the trajectory of his life. See, Peter recognized that this was something miraculous. This was something only God could have done. And so Peter's terrified. He knows he's a sinful man. He knows he's just a fisherman. And so he's terrified of this teacher who has made countless numbers of fish appear out of nowhere into his net and he's just shrinking away and he knows he even calls him Lord. He understands what's happening here. But Jesus looks at him and says something really simple. Don't be afraid. From now on, Peter, you will fish for people. And so Peter and his friends left their nets behind And they followed Jesus. 
And for the next three years of Peter's life, he would go on to walk with Jesus through every moment. This Jesus called himself the Son of God. He healed the sick, made the lame walk, and the blind see. He would go on to forgive sins. He called out the hypocrisy of the religious law keepers, the Pharisees. This Jesus spoke a message of love, of grace, of a father waiting for the prodigal son to come home. For three years of his life, Peter got a front row seat to the Son of God walking among man, doing the miraculous. He watched Jesus get baptized and the heavens open. He watched people get raised to life and demons cast out. And everywhere they went, crowds crowded around him, desperate to hear from Jesus. In fact, sometimes this got them in some sticky situations in Peter's life, like the one time that Jesus was teaching to over 5,000 people for so long they missed dinner, they were hungry, they were far from home, and Peter watched astonished as Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed every single person with 12 baskets left over. Or the time they were, sw- they were rowing across the lake to get to the other side, and in the middle of the, ro- of the lake, a storm came up so powerful, they were terrified for their life. And Peter watched Jesus stand up in the boat and command the very waves to be still. And miraculously, they were still. For three years, Peter watched, participated, listened, and learned from Jesus. In fact, Peter was paying attention so closely that when Jesus famously asks him, who do you say I am, Peter knows the answer. You're the Messiah. Jesus would tell Peter eventually that on him he would build his church, on Peter the rock. But not everyone loved Jesus. Those same law keepers, the Pharisees that were in charge of protecting the integrity of the religious law, did not like Jesus at all. They tried, they plotted to kill and entrap Jesus time and time again. And yet Jesus always continued his ministry uninhibited. It was miraculous, incredible, something only a God could accomplish. And maybe this is why Peter is stunned when one night, three years later at dinner, Celebrating the Passover meal, Jesus states that one of those 12 disciples that has been following Jesus for three years would betray him to be arrested and killed. You can imagine the scene, the murmur going around the room as the disciples are shocked. Who would do that? Everyone's wondering who it might be, but Jesus continues saying that not only will one of them betray him, but all of them will fall away and abandon him. Peter leaps to his feet. I will never fall away, even if everyone else does. He refuses. He says, no way, Jesus. There's no way I'm going to leave you behind. You can imagine Peter's anger and his, his commitment to Jesus. This is the Messiah, the one who did miracle after miracle, who taught the people to follow God and to love one another. How could any of these 12 betray him. You can imagine Peter remembers when he was a fisherman, fishing every day and every night, and how Jesus changed his entire life. Peter and these disciples watched countless awe-inspiring miracles happen time and time again. How could one of them betray Jesus? How could one of them fall away? 
And so Peter says it. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even to death. Peter says, you know what? If one of these, one of these other disciples is going to betray you, I'll go with you. I'll be arrested with you. I'll go die with you if that's what it takes. You won't get rid of me. Peter, of all people, I would never leave you, not even if everyone else did. The first disciple. But the thing is, Jesus knows the truth. And so as Peter stands up and says this bold, courageous, feel-good moment message of I'll never leave you, Jesus, Jesus looks back at him and says, Peter, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You'll deny even knowing me. Peter, the one who was paying attention, the one who knew he was the Messiah, the one who was there for three years, deny even knowing him? I like to imagine Peter scoffed at the idea. No way, Jesus. I would never do that. Not that. I'll follow you into death, even into prison. Wherever you need me to go, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm all in. There's no way I would do that. Later, that same night, Jesus, just as he said, was betrayed by one of the twelve and handed over to a mob to be arrested. It's stunning surprises these same disciples who weren't paying attention closely enough. And in fact, they're so terrified, they all run away in fear. Every last one of them. And just as Jesus predicted, just as he said would happen, they all abandoned him. Perhaps this whole idea is why Peter later creeps back into town real quietly by himself, and stays in a courtyard near where Jesus is being interrogated and on trial. Maybe Peter's thinking about this exact exchange that happened at dinner. <coughs> Maybe he's thinking about the fact that Jesus said all of them would betray him, but that he, he, he committed to not leave him. He had to be there. And so at the very least, since Peter had run away before, he would be there now. Maybe Peter senses a need to be close to see what's happening. He wants to be there. But as he is sitting and waiting and watching nearby, a girl walks up to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, right? You're, you're, you're one of the guys that followed Jesus around, right? And astonishingly, Peter denies it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, as, as I read this story, I'm stunned. How? After all that, Peter, how did you get here? What happened? Sometime later, someone else walks up, recognized again. Hey, you were with that Jesus of Galilee guy, right? Didn't you walk around with him? And this time Peter swears, no way. I don't know the man. And then finally, just as Jesus says one more time, as people in the crowd insisted 
that he was one of the people with Jesus. They said, I can tell by your accent. You're just like him. I can tell by the way you look. I can tell I remember you. You were with Jesus. And Jesus is cursing at them. He swears, I don't know this Jesus guy. Leave me alone. And as soon as he says it, right on cue, the rooster crows. Three times, he denies him, just as Jesus says. And Peter remembers. As soon as the rooster crows, it comes back into his head like a lightning bolt. He remembers that exact conversation at dinner mere hours before. And he realizes what he has done. And so he runs. He runs away weeping. As the reader and as the hearer of this story, we are stunned. Peter was the rock. Peter was the guy who was always willing to follow Jesus. In fact, he was the only disciple to trust Jesus enough to literally walk on water towards him. This was Peter we're talking about. How could he deny knowing Jesus? It's shocking. And as Jesus is sentenced to death, and crucified on a hill, Peter's nowhere to be found. He's not there. And we can imagine how he feels in this moment. He abandoned his Lord when he needed him most. He left him. He denied even knowing him. The guilt must have been unbearable. The shame must have been heavy. His situation must have felt hopeless. Jesus had died. And the last thing that Peter did for Jesus was deny him and run away. I wonder if any of you have ever felt that way before. I know I have. That feeling like you messed everything up. Or that you did something unforgivable that could never be fixed. Maybe it was a mistake you made that you regret. That you would give anything to take back. Maybe it changed the lives around you forever. That feeling in the pit of your stomach, in the pit of your chest. This was my fault. What did I do? What have I done I won't begin to speculate on what those things might be for you, but I suspect many of us can identify with how Peter feels in this moment, why he would run away and hide. He must be filled with guilt and shame at who he's been. And just as Jesus predicted, Peter has denied him and left. Maybe this is why when Jesus, three days later, raises from the dead, and starts appearing to the disciples, Peter seems to be kind of an afterthought. He's not mentioned very much. It's assumed he's with the other disciples, but he doesn't really pop back up until in the Gospel of John, right at the end of his Gospel, gives us a glimpse into Peter again. And at the end of John, in this moment, it's here that we find Peter doing something familiar. Fishing. Once again, as John ends his gospel and gives us this glimpse of where Peter has been, we find him on a boat fishing. 
feels wrong, doesn't it? This is not where Peter is supposed to be. Why is he back fishing? He left that behind years ago. Yet here he is. And just as familiar, Peter's catching no fish. Uh, Considering the only times we hear, we read about Peter fishing in the Bible, he's never catching fish. It makes me question his ability to catch fish as a fisherman. I've got to be honest. And just like before, Peter's been out all night and he's caught no fish. None. And again, I want to pause because it's really important as we think about the fact that Peter is not supposed to be here. He's not a fisherman anymore. Remember, Jesus tells him, I will, I will have you fish for men. Not this fisherman lifestyle you've been living thus far. You are someone different. Yet here Peter is after all of this, and he's gone right back to where he was three years ago, right back to where he started. And the question leaves us, did the call of Jesus on his life end because of the choices Peter made? Did the, did the decisions and the mistakes that Peter made disqualify him from the life God had for him? Was this life of a fisherman all that Peter had left? As the reader of the story, this is all the questions rattle around in our head. What is going on here and why in the world is Peter back in a boat fishing? None of it feels right. And it's in this moment that Jesus enters back into the story with Peter. Jesus stands on the shore and calls out the disciples out there, asking them, have you caught any fish? No, been out all night. And he says, hey, why don't you throw your nets over the other side? Sound familiar? Again, Peter's a fisherman. I'm sure he's been tossing his nets over both sides of the boat all night long. But... He humors this man he can't recognize on the shore. And he takes his net and he throws it over to the other side. And much to everyone's surprise, he catches so many fish, he can barely pull the net up. John immediately recognizes what has happened. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. And Peter looks and he grabs his coat and he jumps overboard and he swims all the way to shore as fast as he can. He can't wait another moment. Jesus is here. And as the rest of the disciples tow all the fish and get them back to shore, and Peter shows up, they find Jesus cooking. Yes, you heard me right, cooking. Jesus has got breakfast ready. He's over a fire with some fish. He's got some bread. He's waiting. He's come here for this moment right now. Jesus invites the disciples that have been fishing to come eat with him. Eating was always really important to these disciples and Jesus. They did it often. It would have been a familiar scene for everyone to be eating a meal with Jesus again. But you can imagine the awkwardness, the tension. Imagine the turmoil inside Peter's heart during this whole exchange. He knows what he's done. He knows who he was, and yet here Jesus sits, giving him a meal. And after the meal, Jesus turns to Peter and asks him something incredible. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I don't know 
if you've ever had someone ask you the question, do you love me? But I feel like often that's not a positive question. And I can't begin to imagine how Jesus asked this question, but I do know that it must have been hard to hear for Peter. Peter, or Simon, responds with, yes, you know I love you. You can almost, when you read it, imagine him like, you know it, right? Right, Jesus? You know I love you? I mean, we've been doing this thing for three years. Of course I love you. You know it, right? Peter respond, Jesus responds, then feed my lambs. And then again, he asks him right away, Peter, do you love me? Again, Jesus? Peter responds the same way. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Why are you asking me? Don't you know? Of course I love you. My actions might not show it, but of course I love you, Jesus. Of course. How do you not know that? You know that, right? Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus looks at him. Peter, do you love me? Peter's hurt. Of course I love you. Jesus, you know all things. Don't you know that I love you? Why do you even need to ask me the question? Of course I love you. And she responds one more time. Then feed my sheep. And I want to zero in on this right now, and I don't want you to miss it. Peter's entire life has led him to this moment right now. Now, if you didn't catch it, Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? One for every time, Jesus, that Peter denied him shortly before. It's redemption. For every denial Peter did in the courtyard, Jesus asked him to affirm his love for him. And each time Peter affirms it, and each time Jesus instructs him something slightly different. And while we won't get into the nuances of the language and all the things that Jesus is saying, what I don't want you to miss is what Jesus has given Peter in this moment. And it's something that I know Jesus wants to offer you as well. Grace. The thing about the scene is that Peter doesn't deserve any of it. He denied his Lord. He ran away and went back to being a fisherman. And Jesus could have left him there. He could have written him off and found someone else to do the work of the church, and he would have been rightfully to do so. Peter had denied him. He had abandoned him and left him behind. He had left his whole life behind and went back to being a fisherman. He had given up that call. And Jesus could have left him there. But the thing is, that's not how Jesus works. It never has been, and it never will be. The thing about this Jesus that we follow is that it doesn't matter what happened before because he has something for you now, in this moment. It doesn't matter what you've done or how you got here. It doesn't matter what happened in 2022 or 2021 or any other year. What matters is right now. The grace of God is moving, pointing you towards a future and a call that he has for you. One that leaves your past behind. 
And the beautiful thing is you can't disqualify yourself from it. You can't run from it. You can't leave it behind. The offer will be there. As Jesus asks you and asks me one simple question. Do you love me? Do you? Because Jesus has something for you that will change the trajectory of your life. And the best thing is, it doesn't matter how you walked in here. And that's probably the most hopeful news you could get all day. The grace of God is big enough to cover over anything. It simply doesn't matter. It didn't matter that Peter denied Jesus. He commissioned him to start the church anyway. It didn't matter the mistakes Peter had made before or the what life had happened to bring him to this moment because in this moment, over breakfast with Peter, Jesus had something for him from that moment on. Feed my sheep. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the grace of God. It always looks ahead to what God has for you next. I don't know how 2022 went for you. I don't know if it was good or bad or if it's the best year of your life or is the hardest or if you made lots of mistakes that you're having a hard time re- recovering from or, or what. I don't know how it went, but I do know one thing, that as we sit here on January 1st of 2023, I know that Jesus doesn't want you to continue the same. He has something for you. The grace of God moving in your life, pointing you where God is calling you. It's simply up to you to follow. And so, as the band comes up to play a song, I want you to reflect on one question. Whatever Jesus is calling you to this next year, will you say yes? And thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.